Happy August, sports movie lovers. This is episode number 109 of Scoring at the Movies, the every other Thursday spoiler-laden podcast that digs into films that feature athletic achievements. I'm the costume-wearing underdog who's raising awareness of wrist violence. Stephen Colbert reference from the old show. And I'm doing it with my labes out. <laughs> labes out. <laughs> Ryan Ellis. And here's the bone crusher who's seen bigger biceps on a balloon animal. And he's seen a lot of balloon animals. That was a funny line. The Lord of the Angry Handshake, Chris Gregorio. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> the Angry Handshake. I like that one. I just came up with that this afternoon. I like that. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. I had to flash a few people driving over here today just for good luck. A few truck stops to flash on the way in, but I managed to make it happen. No co-pilot in the car or anything. So I feel like we're in for a good one here tonight. <laughs> I'm trying to think about a serious because the limbs out thing kills me. <laughs> this felt like a change of pace for us to do this movie. That was a sport that we've never talked about, arm mm-hmm. wrestling. Basically an entirely female cast, mm-hmm. minus one or two bit parts in this, and focusing on a female-centric arm wrestling league, which is something we don't do a lot of because... Forever. I don't just mean... <laughs> Any uh, woman's league, you mean? Yeah, because there's just so much less content available to us. So this was a cool little thing to do. And I appreciated how the movie approached the subject matter and trying to really push more of a female-centric message without being overwhelming about it. The scene that killed me was that get your balls out Mm -hmm. kind of thing. That's something Betsy Sidaro said a few times. And, of course, she gets called out by one of the little side characters there. And hence your laves out comment. Mm -hmm. There is something just harder to say about laves out than balls out. Maybe it's just because balls out has been in the common vernacular Mm -hmm. for so long. It just rolls off the tongue. I don't even think about the underlying premise of it. I don't know if that's going to catch on. I was going to ask you, you think it'll catch on? I guess you don't think that. I don't think so. The movie had an absolutely fair point. If you are really going hard as an athlete or something, you do not want your balls out. You want your balls in and under a cup and firmly protected. This is true. Who's the sidekick character in this? Jesse or whatever? Betsy Sodaro's sniveling little sidekick guy. Oh, Tessie? Oh, the guy, yeah. Jesse, yeah, you're right, yeah. There's Tessie and there's Jesse. Yeah, Jesse. So as he said in that... Or Jerry? Jerry. Jerry, that's it, yeah. As he said in that scene... A flick to the balls will mm-hmm. ruin your day. <laughs> Eddie yeah. Murphy said it in one of those Absolutely. stand-up specials. You just have to graze him. Yeah, it doesn't take much. You don't have to kick him hard, just graze him. And, of course, labias have to be strong to push out babies, which I believe is also brought up by Aparna Nanchurla in that scene. I think she's the one that coins the labes out thing, isn't it? The it is her, East yeah. Indian woman? I like her a lot. Or maybe in... she's just Indian. I don't know what her nationality is. Yeah, I don't know is. what her nationality is. As soon as she popped in for that one scene, I just recognized her from the TV show on Apple TV that's about a video game company. Ghost and Molly McGee, Miss Mira, Royal Detective, The Great North, Fairview, Space Force, is that it? Search Sp- Party. Space Force, for sure. She's on Bob's Burgers as a voice a few times. She's done a lot of TV. Look at all this stuff. Just Mythic Quest. Years. There it is. Yeah, okay. As soon as I saw her in that one scene, I remember she's got a great character in Mythic Quest. Okay. The cantankerous office employee. I think she works best when she pops up as a side character and then leaves again, just because she is so dry in her delivery, and that's exactly what she does here. She's barely in this movie. That is a pretty effective scene, though. Okay, well, Brazo de Oro, as it was known in Spain, played at a few film festivals in the fall of 2020. 
that was released by Utopia on April 30th of last year, 2021. I can't seem to find any box office numbers at all, even though it said it got released in theaters. Utopia, by the way, is a very new distributor. Just started making movies in 2019. Never heard of them, so. I hadn't sense. either. I thought for sure they'd be a side of something else, Universal yeah. or something like that. But it looks like they're a separate production company, much like, say, Blumhouse. Okay. Although Blumhouse will go through Universal or something like that, I think, most of the time or a lot of the time. The Rotten Tomatoes numbers. So first I'll tell you the average. 7.3 to 10. Very solid. Yep. Only 18 reviews. 100% of critics. All 18 of them like the movie. Really? They didn't have to glow, but 7.3 to 10 is a pretty strong number, too. And 84% of audiences. It also won the Golden Thumb at Ebert Fest, his film festival. They kept mm-hmm. doing that long after he died for best film. And when I clicked on that link through the awards section of IMDb, there's no other films recognized or nominated. <laughs> so it's just this one. I don't know how they do that at that festival. And I'll do the nutshell while I'm talking here. It's very simple. It might be the shortest one I've ever done. Golden Arm in a nutshell. Queen Pin. It fits. And it's when clean. they go on the road, I thought Randy Quaid is Mary Holland's character, Melanie. Betsy Sidaro is the Woody Harrelson character. And I guess Bill Murray would be Olivia Stambulia. <laughs> Fucking Brenda. <laughs> when they went on the road, especially in the early scene when Betsy Sidaro was trying to distract what's the character's name. Melanie? Melanie. She's trying to distract Melanie by turning on the music. Oh, this is our song. And she doesn't know any of the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Reminded me of Tommy Boy, the scene okay. with Spade and Farley in the car. Farley's got his music playing and Spade's like, oh, that song sucks. Changes it to another station and Farley goes, oh no, that song sucks. Changes it to the third station and it's a female singer power ballad or something. Mm-hmm. And they're both just looking at each other like, what a lame song. Yeah, yeah. You change it if you want to. Now you change it. And then cut to 30 seconds later, they're both crying and singing loudly. <laughs> Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, one of my favorite comedy moments in any movie ever, has that moment when the two guys have stolen the poser's truck. They don't mm-hmm. know the poser's then, but the skateboard guys, whatever you want to call them. And all the music, or at least that one tape, is what you think girls would be listening to. But then the two guys, Harold and Kumar, love Hold On. I have watched that moment on YouTube thousands of times probably at this point. I didn't know they must have been homaging Tommy Boy, though. Yeah, yeah. If I've ever seen Tommy Boy, it was a long time ago. Another slight reference, by the way, might be Wayne's World. Wayne's World, I also thought Because when they're too. singing along to Bohemian Rhapsody... Dana Carvey didn't know the lyrics, and there's that close of him not doing it properly, and it bothered him that the director kept that take. Oh, really? But she thought that was funny that Garth knows a lot of the song, but doesn't know that part of the song. Nothing really matters. Funny. Anyone can I see. And Dana Carvey's mouth does not match that, <laughs> but that was what she thought was funny. So maybe that's also what's homaged here with Betsy Sodaro not knowing the lyrics to These dreams go on when I close my eyes. That song wasn't the worst song you could use for an intro at an arm wrestling contest, but as she points so Betsy Sidaro does. He picked the wrong part of the song. <laughs> weird section of the song. Yeah. I thought that was great. That took me down a mental rabbit hole as well. But yeah, that truck scene with the singing, I thought about Tommy Boy. Just beyond that crying and weeping and singing bit in Tommy Boy, because they're driving a beat-up car at that point. It's just been trashed by a deer and stuff. And the hood whips up. Ah, mm. We're going to crash. That actually happened to me with a friend of mine. He was getting married in Florida. We drove his 1970... Ford Mustang to Florida for the wedding. One night went up for dinner with a bunch of people that were attending the wedding. And one of them was like, oh man, cool car. Can I check out the engine? And so he goes under the hood, Uh he looks at the car, closes the hood, but he didn't latch it properly. So then we get in the car, we drive down, we're on the highway and the freaking thing goes, (laughs) I was like, oh my God, we're going to die. Tommy boy style. And then my mind immediately then went to, well, if Ryan and I were in a car singing a power ballad duet, what would it be? And then, of course, it would be We Belong by Pat Benatar. We belong. I can't get the high notes. We know that. Well, you saw this only a few hours ago. I saw this two days ago. 
You're the one that found this on Crave, right? Because you don't get stars. It had to be Crave. Right. I knew nothing about most of the people in this movie, certainly the stars. Although Mary Holland, who is effectively the main star, she's top build, Melanie, was the weird sister in Happiest Season, that Christmas movie that came out a couple years ago with, what was her name again? Oh, Mackenzie Davis, I believe, and Kristen Stewart. She's in that film and arguably steals it from everybody else. And she co-wrote that, by the way, too. She didn't co-write this. But when I saw her, I thought, I recognize that face. Click on her right away. Okay, right. I remember that face now. But I've never seen... Betsy Sidaro before this. I would call her Diet Melissa McCarthy. Seems like really? she's really, yeah, she seemed like she was trying to do Melissa McCarthy to me, I thought. I didn't think she was unfunny. McCarthy's funny too, but a little of her goes a long way. That's probably true about Sidaro in this movie as well. But it wasn't like it was a bad performance. I think Holland reminded me a lot of Kristen Wiig as yes. well. Sidaro, by the way, is in the prank for the director, Maureen Barucha, I guess how you say it. Although I found something online where she announces her own name and it sounds like she says Barucha. But then she was in some other thing I saw, and they said Barucha. So if we're saying it wrong, I've never heard of this person before. I'm pronouncing it as I'm reading it here. We've already talked about the stand-up comics. Ron Funches, the noted wrestling fan, not arm wrestling, but wrestling fan, who's Carl in this. He's worked in a lot of Hollywood films, actually, as a voiceover guy, especially at the Trolls movies, the one and only Ivan. So they're the major names in the cast. It's one of those films that I really don't have much more to say about the actors than what I just did from their credentials and what they've done before. There aren't many movies we'll probably ever pick that are this obscure. And yet, look at what the critics said about it. They love it. Like you said, I saw this, knew nothing about it, just said, hey, it's women's arm wrestling. Certainly is That's different. It's a change of pace. Let's do this one. Didn't know a thing about it. It was like a little bit of a palate cleanser after some of the heavier movies we've covered this year and some of the movies that were trying to be emotional and rousing. This was trying to be those things in certain ways, but it wasn't trying, and I think self-consciously was not trying that hard. It was meant to be, I think, anyway, the way I've watched it. Light entertainment. Yeah, light entertainment. In that context, it succeeded very well at trying to do what it wanted to do. So you liked it then? I did. It sounds like I was more familiar with some of the people in the movie from non-acting credits that maybe you were, like Eugene Cordero is also in this, and he's He's worked in a lot of things, actually. That's right. He's done more big things than probably everybody else I just mentioned. Yeah. I love the title Furry Vengeance. (laughs) It wasn't a good movie, but one of my favorite titles ever, Furry Vengeance, many years ago. He was in Ghostbusters 2016 with Kristen Wiig, of course, and Kong Skull Island. So yes, you're right. He's been in a lot of big things. I think he worked with Eastwood once and maybe Spielberg or something like that as well. He's also voicing a character on one of the animated Star Trek series right now, but I think he also does a lot of writing work and things like that but a number of people in this movie including Betsy Sidaro including Eugene Cordero including Ron Funches they're all comedic actors writers stand-ups to some degree and so within that sphere of people they've all got their buddies that do podcasts so I hear all of them quite regularly in that kind of circuit on some of the podcasts I listen to and maybe that's why I'm more predisposed to cutting Betsy Sidaro in particular some slack I didn't really get the Melissa McCarthy vibe per se, but I do understand what you're saying about Melissa McCarthy. A little bit can go a long way. Like in Bridesmaids, for example. Yeah, I appreciate that with Betsy too. She does very well as the sidekick character that comes in, might zing a line or two, and then leaves again, which I think is one of the reasons why this movie worked for me most of the time is because with a few exceptions, she doesn't linger too, too long, I don't think. It's Mary Holland's movie, not hers. Exactly. We've talked about this in the inverse a couple of times, how perception of the actors themselves definitely colors the way I view their performances. I just can't watch Kevin Spacey movies anymore, knowing what I know, things like that. And I know you don't feel quite as strongly as I do on that front, 
But I think the reverse is true here, where I've, through hearing so much from these people in podcast, right. have developed a little bit of an affinity for them. So maybe I'm cutting them more slack than I should, which is not something I often do on this podcast. Right. I, I'm usually the cranky old man that's ripping people apart. But, but I it's think, like you're watching Friends in some way, you must feel like. Which is true. But as you're saying that, I'm feeling a little bit sad about myself. Oh, my podcast friends. Oh, I guarantee you some of the people who listen to us or the other podcast I did with Bev think that way about us. I know they think that way about Bev and I. They've said so. So well, that's good. I don't think that's an ego thing. I think it's just true. You listen to somebody long enough, especially if it's for years and maybe you regularly do, no matter what the topic is, if you care about them enough, you're going to feel like they're my friends, Ryan and Chris, or my friends, Ryan and Bev, or my friends, blank and blank. I think that's a very positive thing. If you can put out into the world something that people view that way, that's amazing. Cause... Well, if you can listen to people while you're taking a shit... <laughs> then they have to be somewhat personal to you. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to the cast and the fact that there really isn't that star name on the poster, really is an ensemble cast. These are not necessarily new actors, but they're not household names either. And I think this would have been a worse movie if the Melanie character was played by maybe even Kristen Wiig, right? Just, You'll get one big name and yeah. Yeah, just because of the star power association to it. I think not knowing who any of these people are I knew some of them, but just in general, not knowing who they are, you're just a little bit more open to a movie of this type that is a little bit lighter and a little bit easier going. It's definitely got a lot of charm to it. And there are some good laughs right from the beginning with Danny beating a man in an arm wrestling contest. And then seconds later, <laughs> fucking Brenda <laughs> walks in. I didn't know if the movie's going to be R-rated. And obviously this podcast is, but right away, you know, it is because she says fucking no. And she does hurt her wrist in that match, yes. but then is lingering through the whole or malingering, I guess is the word through the whole movie, pretending like she actually hurt herself. And that's another kingpin thing because she has to recruit somebody else to right. live her dream which is not Melanie's dream at all. But then Melanie's glad she went, of course. She's a better person for going. She knows all that. But that's what happens with Ishmael and Roy and Kingpin. He has to recruit somebody else because he's not good enough with the fake hand. And then, of course, he ends up bowling anyway. I should have realized this was going to happen. I should have picked up on this in the first place because Danny goes lefty versus Randy in the Midway Club. Yeah. And there's, by the way, probably the most famous name or famous face I saw. One of, anyway, one of the more recognizable faces. Randy's played by Kate Flannery, who was Meredith on The Office for yes. all those years. But anyway, so Danny goes lefty, and at the end, that's what Mel does, so she can last in the third <laughs> round when it's tied one-to-one -one and somehow wins with her left arm. I wouldn't have a chance in arm wrestling anyway, but especially with my left arm. Yeah. I knew I was going to have some fun with this movie as soon as that scene you just described. It's two separate scenes, right? Because... You've got Danny getting hurt in that bar scene. That's the beginning, Brenda, yes. At the beginning, and then later on when she tries to go lefty. Before she actually gets hurt by Brenda, she turns to the left, and that sniveling assistant character that just consistently, I have to admit, he made me laugh when he would just pop up, like with the homemade deodorant or something. Mm. Like, I made out a whale blubber. Incidentally, this movie, you can tell, is definitely one of those movies where they're like, okay... This is the setup for the scene. We've got the positions worked out. We've got where we start, where we need to get to, but you guys are going to improv the dialogue, right? Because they say stuff here that there's no chance that was scripted. It was just like <laughs> off-the-cuff stuff, you can tell. In that first scene, Betsy Sodaro turns to her left, and Jerry just pops in with a water bottle and squirts it at her mouth, but you can tell it hits her in the face, and she's just trying <laughs> to get into the mouth. Yeah, that's fun. The director, by the way, it's either her brother or husband. I don't know what he is, but Ahmed Barucha. I try to look online to oh, see yeah. how they're related, but he is... Jerry, we said? Yeah, Jerry. Oh, okay. The director, you know, I thought was absolutely fine. I think it seemed like a movie where the director was just letting a lot of the actors, and I already said, I think most of these names are comics, are comedic writers in addition mm. to actors. It just felt like, 
a lot of improv type stuff, which I thought worked pretty well. So I said two scenes made me laugh. The second one with Kate Flannery, when Betsy Sidaro tries to go left-handed and immediately loses and just looks at her hand in disbelief and says, <laughs> my left arm is weak as shit. <laughs> Melanie's the, isn't. That's the way that works. Neither of Melanie's arms or hands are weak. This woman's built. I don't remember if she looked like this in Happiest Season, but she might have been wearing sweaters the whole time. It's a Christmas movie. It's the winter. But Mary Holland's got some pipes. And her whole body's impressive when you see her wearing very little clothing. Again, wig-like. Well, Kristen Wiig, her body seems similar, but yeah. she's in great shape. Maybe for this movie specifically. Maybe she always is. She's cute for sure. This movie loves sex, by the way. This movie's definitely very scorable. People want to fuck. They do fuck. They almost fuck. <laughs> Ron punches. Yeah. Can I just say something? Threesome? <laughs> no, get out. Okay. <laughs> I thought they were making it that Danny was a lesbian early on, but then she almost bones Carl. But it could be she's bisexual. Because she seems to be impressed with women's looks. She comments on it at some point, and it seemed like it was uh, not just recognizing that a woman's good looking, but I would like to be with that woman. It could be. I didn't really pick up on that one way or the other. It just seemed like Betsy Sidaro's character was down to have fun with anybody at any time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go for it, lady. And she did in this movie, mm -hmm. like you said. It wasn't shy about it. The one who's not having much fun, though, is Melanie, working in a bakery and served with divorce papers in her first scene. Yeah. Which she eventually does sign, not at the end of the movie, which is usually what you'd see in a movie like this, but it's when she's getting strong. Now. It was a good montage. Sign the papers, a lot a of montage. montages, a lot of training montages where she's terrible. Learning how to arm wrestle with Dot Marie Jones. She is apparently an actual arm wrestling champion. And she's six foot three. <laughs> you can tell she's tall, but she's apparently that tall. Multiple Emmy nominee for Glee. I think it was three nominations she got for Glee. I never saw the show. Oh. Don't know anything about that, but that was an impressive credit. I wouldn't be able to put a credit to the face, but as soon as she popped into the movie, I'm like, I know you from somewhere. I never watched Glee either, so I don't think it was from that, but I know her from somewhere. One of the things this movie does well, for a silly movie, it makes sure that you understand the sport, and they do it through that character, Big Sexy, right? Mm -hmm. Because, of course, the lead character, Melanie, she's an arm wrestler only in as much as she used to arm wrestle... Betsy Sidaro's character in college to mm -hmm. decide what pizza to get for dinner or something. So that's how Betsy Sidaro knows, okay, well, this friend of mine is weirdly good at this. We're thrown into the movie initially with Danny. We're not really given a lot of background or context, which is fine. We know the stakes because we get Brenda saying, I'm going to be the first Grand Slam champion. Okay, it's a Grand Slam in the golf or tennis or whatever context, right? But we have to get some explanation about how the sport works. Because I don't know about you, but I know basically nothing about arm wrestling or the rules of it, at least. Because Melanie doesn't either, we get Big Sexy saying, all right, listen, your elbow's got to be on the pad. You can shift. You can't lift up. You grab this, and then you go. Actually, you know what? I do know a little bit of arm wrestling because I saw Over the Top many years ago. Oh, well, that is... It's all about getting that slightly different grip. And then you pull them over, Chris. That's how you do it. You get your son back. You're a trucker. Another comparison is that Danny's a trucker in this. I think lives in her truck by the looks of it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I believe, what Stallone is in Over the Top. And if there's any other arm wrestling movies out there than these two, I don't know about them. <laughs> well, we'll have to do Over the Top one day. It's only a matter of time. They're going to pull you over. <laughs> the thing that always freaked me out about arm wrestling, and the only thing I know about it is Devin Larratt, who I think is Canadian, who's apparently one of the greatest of all time. I've just watched some clips of him arm wrestling guys like the guy that played the mountain in Game of Thrones. Well, the last one, there was three people that played him. The last one. The, He's a Norwegian or Swedish dude. I don't remember his name. He's but an Icelandic, strongest man, nearly seven feet tall, 400 pounds, and he did some arm wrestling stuff just for fun against this Devin Laird guy. And just watching the torque on their elbows when mm. they're arm wrestling freaks me out. And, of course, one of the things Big Sexy does tell Melanie is something like, 
eight pounds of force laterally applied to your whatever is it, humerus or something? Would I guess it would break the arm, and that's break the arm, what yeah. supposedly happens to Melanie when she's up against Brenda, fucking Brenda, at the end. Yeah, which was also a, a very well-played scene, I thought, where they cut open her sleeve, and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like, don't look at it, don't look at it, it's so <laughs> gross. Having watched so many sports movies, we're so programmed to expect the hero to get hurt, but tough it out and somehow succeed miraculously. And in this one, there is no toughing it out in that moment. Well, there is because she changes hands. That's the right. difference. And she can't use that injured hand, the right arm, to brace herself. So she's yes. toughing it out somewhat. Some Another comparison, I think I saw this when I was looking up some stuff about the film, is Karate Kid. Yeah, that's Where in the very first one, Mr. Miyagi fixes him just well enough to get through the match at yeah. the very end. That makes sense. I would have liked to have known, maybe it would have been a little bit too obvious if Big Sexy had done this, do you have to declare a dominant hand, for instance? I would wonder about that, too. If they said I didn't hear it, and it seems like you would have to, because you shouldn't be able to just switch it up. Even right. if there's somebody's injured, sorry, then I guess you lose. I don't know how that would work if your dominant hand is always left and most people is always right, because you can't arm wrestle left versus right. But I know my right arm and left arm are not equivalently strong. For I, me, it's not even close. Right. And so I imagine that's the case for most people, even people that are into arm wrestling, saying to somebody, okay, we're doing it lefty now. Really? Okay. It could be, and they may have cut a scene out of this, or maybe we just didn't notice it, that it has to go through Brenda, and she's so confident that I can beat you regardless, so she didn't care. I would buy that, except for the previous scene when Brenda gets her lackey to try to injure Melanie so that she doesn't have to ultimately right. She's not playing slam. fair, that's right. Brenda's sitting there getting massage from the lackey saying, oh, I'm going to win the Grand Slam, I'm going to win the Grand Slam. And the lackey's like, is it really a win if you don't actually have to arm wrestle in the <laughs> final because they're disqualified or they can't do it? And she's like, shut up and massage my shoulders. It's made very clear that Brenda has no interest in playing it fair, which is an interesting thing for that character because the whole time, her whole thing is intimidation. She puts out the vibe that she's scared of nobody. She's always trying to intimidate, especially Melanie. Mm. But she also takes every opportunity to try to either hurt or otherwise get Melanie to quit so that they don't have to face each other in the final. So I don't know if that was the director or writer, whoever's subtle way of trying to have a little bit of depth to the character. A golden arm, by the way, is a jellyfish, as that one guy explains, (laughs) with a goddamn powerful arm. That character Good explanation. <laughs> that cranky old man that's just sitting there watching, offering the quips and then saying, give me my 10%. At yeah, the end. Just for saying go. Yeah. <laughs> Holding the sand over their hands then go. It's a good gig. And they're driving to Oklahoma City. Apparently the movie was shot in Oklahoma. Oh, and okay. I guess Oklahoma City specifically. I also like some of the places they go to. The What would you say? Bikini bar, but it is a strip bar. That's My Fair Ladies. And when they get to OKC, it's the Star Arena. Yeah. This nondescript place, which Melanie even points out. And Danny says, it's nice inside. It's fine. It'll be great. And it is good enough for what they have to do. It is big enough to hold a decent-sized crowd. Yeah, I liked that contrast, right, where on the one hand you've got the big villain in the movie being so pumped up about winning the fourth tournament in the Grand... The Nationals or whatever it is, right? The fourth Grand Slam title. And then you actually see it in a very nondescript building in Oklahoma. For her intensity, you would expect something grander. Yeah, true. 15 grand is not nothing, too, on the line. But it's like a funny little contrast there. It's that same contrast, I think, is part of the reason why I love the Jerry character so much. I don't want to compare it to the minor leagues, but it's a niche sport. It doesn't matter if it's men's or women's arm wrestling, it's niche. Even the Icelandic guy from Game of Thrones taking on that other person you mentioned. I don't know any of their names, sorry. Devin Larratt? There you go. That's still niche. Super niche, exactly. I think bowling is actually still niche, I would say, and that's actually been on television for decades. Yeah, the PBA and stuff is still a niche thing. In the 70s, I think it was more popular than it is today. So yeah, to have the lackey that just follows... Betsy Sidaro around, popping up to do her bidding at random, I thought was a nice little touch. 
and showing up at the match with the Betsy Sodaro oversized printout of her face in front of her, and she turns around, ah! <laughs> Got a good giggle out of that. I did that to somebody at work, just for a gag, showed up at work with a printout of his face, like an overlarge printout of his face over my end, too. Same reaction, funnily enough. That's pretty good. It was pretty clever, too, how Melanie comes up with the name. Well, she didn't come up with it. She just says she's freaked out, and then Ron Funches calls her freaked out for a little while. Yeah. Then she becomes Breadwinner, which is actually a pretty good name for a baker to be. And she's taking on Bone Crusher, Brenda. They do have the costumes. I mention the intro all the time. It's a decent gag when she's trying on different costumes, and none of them are right for Danny's point of view, at least. She doesn't think they're good costumes. Again, we've seen that kind of thing before. That's a pseudo-montage as well. But it's in dressing and clothes that she meets Greg. Their relationship's pretty cute. He's pretty cute. He's a little guy. And that scene where he puts his arm against the baseball fence... It does kiss her, I guess, right? Yeah. But then they switch positions, and she even says, that is the dominant position type of a deal. And she's probably stronger than him anyway, or as close to any as a woman probably normally is. It was a pretty cute little scene, too. And a baseball yeah. scene, if you will, because he is an umpire. So I always like the baseball scenes, even if it's just a baseball field they're walking on and discussing what he does for a living. Yeah. I liked that prior to that scene you just described, they're walking towards the diamond, and they're talking about, you're an umpire, you like baseball movies. Yeah, we both like baseball movies, and he name-checked a few movies that we watched. Some of the bad ones. The Natural, I think we agree, was fine. Not I didn't love it. I liked it a lot more when I was younger. Yeah. But then they also say one of the terrible ones. Rookie of the it? Year. Right. But Major League as well. Okay. It was a mixed bag, for sure. But then I like that Eugene Cordero's character, Greg, says, I think there's a diamond down here. Let's go walk to the diamond. The next sequence over, they're shagging balls. They have a glove. Where did that stuff come from? You didn't have that walking to the diamond. Did you just steal that from somebody's stuff that was just sitting there? Okay. <laughs> But Eugene Cordero, for a guy that's around baseball, granted, umpire, for a guy that's around baseball, had a terrible swing in that scene. I don't know if you noticed that. Oh, dude, your form. Come on. <laughs> he can adjudicate baseball. He maybe can't play baseball. I guess that's true. It's like the old saying, those who can't do teach or whatever. So I mm-hmm. guess those who can't play ump. Right. That's not true. You ump and you play. That's true. You I haven't umped this year, but I have in the past. I think it's probably pretty obvious that I'm fairly forgiving of this movie. Mm. Had a fair bit of fun watching it for the most part. There was one thing in it that really irritated me, and that was with the Eugene Cordero, Mary Holland romance. I don't know why movies feel like they have to do this, but this movie did, like so many others, where you've got a pretty cute relationship going on here. Fun little thing. Fake conflict. Fake conflict, exactly. And Just the- like the fight she has with Danny. You knew it was coming. You knew it was point. coming. And I felt irritated by both things because it is unnecessary yet it has become the thing that has to happen all the time i felt less irritated about the danny thing maybe because i just knew it was going to happen basically from the first scene of the movie i know that that conflict's going to come but the way they do it melanie walks in on greg talking to brenda where brenda's Mm -hmm. coming on to him and melanie just happens to see it and then storms out in any real world circumstance where you could take 30 seconds and say, no, she was just coming on to me. And that would pretty much resolve everything. And this is like, no, Melanie, wait, no, you don't understand. It's such a thing that movies do that just would never happen in any normal circumstance in real life. And that type of thing with different dialogue has happened in so many movies now too. Exactly. Overlooking or overseeing, overhearing a conversation or seeing somebody kiss somebody else because they know that it's going to bother somebody else and the person getting kissed doesn't want it in the first place. Watching Greg and Brenda together, you can tell in the body language that this is one person aggressively coming on to another person who doesn't want it. Mm -hmm. From Melanie's perspective, you'd already know that if you're a fairly rational human being. And then, again, it's the kind of thing that you could easily resolve with 30 seconds of quick explanation from Greg if Melanie would just stop for 
one step to listen to it, but of course can't happen because there's got to be some sort of weird conflict. If he was even messing around a little bit, you barely know him. That's also true. If he true. proves he cares about you at all and if you care about him, are you going to be just, oh, that's it. You get one chance to mess up. Movie characters never give anybody a second chance. That's well, they right. do later almost always, but in that moment, they don't. I enjoyed watching her go from tightly wound, stick in the mud kind of person that she starts with to loosening up and enjoying the arm wrestling stuff. Mm -hmm. And I know this was after the injury that she gets from the rap, which I also think was a little bit of a contrived thing. I don't think that's the way wraps work in arm wrestling. Well, when they're strapped together, you mean? Yeah, I think she has... The buckle digs into her hand? I don't think there's a buckle, though. That's what I was surprised to see, too. I think it's just like a leather wrap that you wrap around. For just that reason, so nobody can dig it into their hand. Yeah. But anyway, I know she got her hand hurt and all that, but she seemed mostly unfazed by it at the time. Then she sees this guy she was having some fun with, but has basically known for two days at this mm-hmm. point in a weird situation with another woman. And she decides, that's it. I'm done. No more arm wrestling. I'm going home right this second. That also feels like a little bit of an unnecessarily just for the sake of contrived conflict. But I guess it was needed to get to that conflict with Danny where they have the fight and Danny's hand is actually okay the whole time. But... Fortunately, they didn't belabor that too long, at least get it over with quickly, and this mm-hmm. movie did that at the very least. So. It's a quick movie, too. It's only 90 minutes long. Melanie does feel alive while arm wrestling. She does say that to Danny. She cries a few times in the film, too. But when she has the big lefty versus lefty rubber round part of the two to three falls match at the end, does pull an Iron Man thing, I am golden arm, <laughs> and then she wins, which, of course, is illogical, but it is fun. But then again, one of the better moments of the film is the very end of the movie. This movie did what you wanted the rookie to do when Jim Morris makes it to the big leagues. Mel and Danny have a contest against each other six months later, and it cuts as soon as they lock up before they actually right. show us who wins. That's what you wanted from the rookie was him throwing a ball in the big leagues was the win. Doesn't matter that he struck out Royce Clayton. Doesn't matter about his family and friends. You wish the movie had ended right there. This one does. I agree. It's a movie that doesn't overstay its welcome. Like you said, it's 90 minutes. And I thought that was a perfect place. If you're going to end the movie, end it there because all the other stuff is irrelevant. The movie opens up with this pseudo-conflict about Melanie's bakery being in financial trouble somehow, her failing marriage and the divorce papers. Well, failed. Failed at that point, you're right. But ultimately, by the end of the movie, none of that stuff really matters anymore because the whole arc of the movie is Melanie finding something that makes her, like you said, feel alive, makes her actually feel like she's living her life and she's enjoying herself again. So whether or not the bakery does fail, I know she won at least half of the $15,000 that presumably she splits with Danny. 7500 bucks is that going to save a failing business? No. My guess is not. Whether or not she's happy about the failed marriage doesn't matter because like Danny said earlier in the movie, it's going to suck right now, but it's good in the long term. So the whole arc of the movie is really her stepping up, having that moment of epiphany and triumph that she does, like you said, with her Iron Man statement, I am golden arm. I kind of like that final cut because it reminded me, of course, of Rocky Three, mm-hmm. right? The ding, ding, boom. The friendly match as well. This isn't about two people that hate each other. These two love each other. We've resolved all of the relevant conflicts in this movie. We're happy where our characters left off. End it. Don't Mm -hmm. give me another 10 minutes of, oh, let's see what they do next. Mm -hmm. Because why? What difference does it make? Well, Maureen Brucha directing this film. This is her debut. The prank I mentioned earlier is coming out sometime this year, I guess. Rita Moreno, I guess, is in that as well. And the two writers had never written a movie before, but they do have other things in the works. So we're going to see more of their work in the future, I guess. Anne-Marie Allison and Jenna Milley. Both of whom are producers on this. There were 10 producers, and six of them were women. So we talked about how many people involved were women making the movie in front of the camera. But the director, the two writers, a lot of the producers, the composer as well, all women. 
one of the things I really liked about their approach to it, aside from that one scene that I already talked about with the balls out versus labes out stuff, mm-hmm. which was very funny, as much as I'm going to struggle to say labes out, and I don't think it's going to catch on. It was a very <laughs> funny scene. But the fact that it is a women's sport, women's arm wrestling, it's never commented on. Nobody at any point in this movie... Mocks it, you mean? Yeah. They go to at least three bars in this movie where there's women arm wrestling, and at no point are any men sitting at the bar chugging beers, scoffing. Nobody's asking any of these characters, where are you going dressed up like that? Women's arm wrestling, that's crazy. It's just a thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's just a sport. You don't have to shine a spotlight on the fact that this is something different. It just is, Mm -hmm. right? And let's just watch the characters have their fun within that environment. And I thought that was a great and unexpectedly subtle way for a movie like this to handle it. Yeah, well, that's woman power, too. It isn't about bragging about how strong you are. I'm the strong woman doing this man's type thing. Exactly. Just do the thing and be good at it. And they are, and they did. Yeah. They had some fun showing, like you said, the... What was the line about the golden arm is the octopus with the... Jellyfish. Jellyfish, right. Jellyfish with the arm of gold or whatever. Although, from the beginning, because she had to for the movie itself, of course, Mary Holland has no jellyfish arms. She would beat you in an arm wrestling match. Maybe not quite Natalie Portman level yoked in this movie, but for somebody that we're supposed to believe is just like a noodle arm baker or something. Yeah, she's in good shape for sure. But they have some fun with people underestimating her throughout the movie. It might have been fun if she did, probably wouldn't be believable, mind you, but it would have been fun if they did have one scene where she takes it to some jackass guy at some point who is too strident, but not necessary. Well, the closest to sexism would be the very first guy that Danny's arm wrestling, although he's not mocking her, but she does beat him. Yes. And then we never have a woman-man match again. As far as the depiction of the sport, I guess it's accurate. Beats me. Holland has that physique, but could she really have beaten so many of these monstrous women, especially fucking Brenda? I don't know a lot about arm wrestling, but one thing I do know is it's not just raw power. There is technique to it. Mm-hmm. and You go over the top, Chris. Yeah, you go over the top. You got to pull the arm towards you and you turn it and then you get your son back. There you go. <laughs> so every arm wrestling match always ends with somebody getting their son back. Those are always the stakes. <laughs> well, one of the two movies I'm aware of, yes. <laughs> That's 50%. So in this movie, Melanie wins the finale and somebody brings out a little boy and she's like, I don't have a son. Who's this? <laughs> you do now. <laughs> you do now. All right. I don't know enough to comment about the accuracy of the sport. Although the fact that you, and I didn't know this to be true, but what's her name that plays Big Sexy? Dot Marie or something? Dot Marie Jones. So f- Dot Marie is a hyphenated first name and then Jones. So the fact that she was, in addition to being an actor, an arm wrestler at some mm-hmm. point, would lead me to believe that at least the stuff she's describing about the sport was accurate and hopefully the portrayal follows that. Well, when you do a niche sport, we may not necessarily know if it's portrayed very well. But it was fun, at the very least, too. It's not like people are saying, oh, there's girls over there doing this. They seem like they're doing it quite well. A movie like Rookie of the Year, which is mentioned in this, doesn't know anything about baseball. From what I can tell, and from what you can tell, this movie knows something about arm wrestling. And if Dot Marie Jones was a consultant, and she may have been, maybe she was on set a lot more than she's actually in the movie as an actress, Mm -hmm. that would also lend it a lot of credibility. I mentioned it's scorable, I think. It's a movie that loves the sex. People are doing it quite a bit. The two main characters do it could be a pretty good date movie i'm a little bit surprised bev said no to watching this movie because well she had to know it was gonna be a comedy but then i guess she doesn't really tend to want to watch any of the sports movies that you and i cover she has seen some but it's been a long time king richard earlier this year was the last time she saw one and that's only because it was up for the oscar and we had to watch it for that anyway so it was two birds one stone you and i did a podcast about it and she and i needed to watch it for the oscar show we were going to do in a couple days after we watched it i think this is one of the rare sports movies that you could watch and enjoy it not just knowing nothing about arm wrestling, because neither one of us really do, mm-hmm. 
but not really liking sports movies in general, I don't think plays a factor here because the actual arm wrestling itself... There's quite a bit of it. There is, but it's quick. Each match is like 10 seconds, done, move on. So it doesn't linger on the arm wrestling itself. So I think you could enjoy this just for what it is, being a bit of a lighthearted buddy comedy. Rom-com as as well, yeah. A little bit of a rom-com too. I actually suggested to Allison that we should watch this. I thought it would be something she'd enjoy, and she's in the same camp Bev is, not really liking sports movies generally. Won't watch 90% of the movies that we watch for this podcast, Mm. even though I ask her every time. So I'd suggest this to people that want something lighthearted and fun. It's not family-friendly necessarily because there's a lot of sex, a lot of... Swearing. Swearing. (laughs) The sex stuff did crack me up too. What the hell are you guys doing? We're having sex. (laughs) Lying on top of her. (laughs) What? No, you're not. Hey, let me put this out there. Threesome? That whole scene just cracked me up. But anyway, it's not family-friendly, obviously. But it is a palate cleanser type of movie if you just want something that's not going to weigh you down. So I'd give it a 6 out of 10. Passable enough grade. What about you? I was thinking right in the 6 to 6.5 range. I said already there was that one big element of it that did irritate me a little bit about the movie being the contrived conflicts. Dual conflict. Dual conflicts. It's not like it's a perfect movie. I had a lot of fun with what I read as being a lot of improv gags, but it seemed like there was a lot of good chemistry with the cast. Whether by homage or just straight up trope, it pulls from a lot of other movies, and we've talked about what some of those are. But it also does follow a lot of the general sports movies tropes that we haven't really talked about in detail. But if you watch this and you've seen any other sports movies, by and large, you'll recognize them. But you know what? It got more of a, I don't want to say emotional reaction, but I was actually happy for the main characters at the end of the movie that they won. And we've watched plenty of big budget, what are supposed to be rousing fill your heart with joy kind of movies that I felt nothing about. Either you didn't care or you wish they'd lost. Exactly. How many of those? Because sometimes that's the better story is them losing if you do care about them. Exactly. So just the fact alone that I cared about the outcome for the two leads in this movie at the end of it all, I'm like, okay, well, that speaks well to the movie. Okay, well, that was Golden Arm. If you haven't heard of it, but you listen to this podcast anyway, you're a brave soul. I'd be surprised if people listen to movie podcasts where they haven't actually watched the movie. I think I've done that once ever. It's weird. I actually do it quite a bit. Okay. In two weeks, we're going to get back into a pugilist frame of mind and talk about boxing. It's a special episode, though, because rather than just take a little time off to enjoy a little me time this summer, well, Chris time, Ryan time, we're going to air an episode I recorded years ago. I thought we needed it in 2019 when Chris was moving, since he was able to watch and talk about movies through all that, and he even got eight hours of television in a day, much like Homer Simpson. <laughs> gotta do what you gotta do, Ryan. We didn't use it then, but now we will use it as we toss off a brief little one Ryan show about James Earl Jones punching people in the face in the great white hope. So we're on Twitter. I'm at moviefiend51. Chris is at scoringatmovies. The email address is scoringatthemovies at gmail.com. Please rate us, comment. And if anybody does hear this podcast that actually worked in some capacity on Golden Arm, I would love to hear about some of the stuff behind the scenes like we did with Hustle, especially... Mm to what extent the dialogue in this movie was actually improv because I got the sense it was, mm-hmm. but I don't know that to be true because I did zero research in this. But if there's somebody out there worked on this movie, give us a write. Maureen, the writers, the actors, anybody, or some grip, let us know. <laughs> Love to hear from our fans and our listeners. So take her easy, breadwinner. And for God's sake, people need their scones. So get back in that bakery. I'm not implying women have to be in the kitchen. She's a very good baker, but I think it's pronounced scones. All right, people need their scones. And their arm wrestling, too. She can do both.